Welcome to Transformational Pathways, a podcast created by Toastmasters District 46 in the greater New York area, where we share conversations from influencers within the Toastmasters community and people whose lives have positively transformed by walking down the Toastmasters path. Whether you're just getting started in your career, have had recent career changes, or you're navigating different languages, we're here to help you build confidence by discovering new tools, overcoming your fears to find your voice, and engaging in a thriving community. Enjoy today's episode. Hello! Welcome to another episode of Toastmaster District 46 Transformational Pathways Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Mason, and walking the path with me today is our guest dialing in from South Africa, Verity Price. Verity is a keynote speaker and facilitator of strategic and lateral thinking tools with lead with innovation courses and tailored strategy sessions. She also works with teams to improve their speaking and presenting skills so that their ideas and message can land with power. She's a two times TEDx speaker and in 2021, she was the world champion of public speaking. She's also, as if that wasn't enough, a professional singer with a debut album that sold quite nicely. Maybe she'll teach me how to finally get to be a disco diva. Verity, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott. It's so lovely to be here. It's a great day. It is totally great to have you here. Verity, you're calling in from South Africa. Are you from South Africa originally? I was born in Zimbabwe, actually. So a neighboring country. And I've been living in South Africa since I was five. Wow, and you are a singer and and a professional, but there's got to be more to this story here. You did not just pop out, of, well, maybe you popped out of your parents' womb singing, and if so, we want to hear about that. But I imagine you didn't just pop out of your parents' womb talking about strategy sessions and lateral thinking, things like that. If so, we need to hear all about that. But tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get your started in the in the world? How did you end up being a professional singer? Let's just start there. Okay, good place to start because it was the last thing I was ever going to do with my life, Scott. I was the child that was on stage at school. I used to skip school if I had to read an assembly. So I suffered from terrible stage fright. Wow. And I managed to escape any opportunity where I had to be in front of people. And then in my first year of university, on my 20th birthday, out of nowhere, I felt inspired to write. And when I finished writing, I had to a song. And I didn't know where these had come from, but it was almost as if someone switched on a tap and this inspiration just kept flowing through me and the songs kept coming. And eventually I taught myself how to write music and then I had to face the, the fear and the this terror and the stage fright. And I started working with a singing coach, but I didn't have the courage to mm. sing. I didn't have the courage to venture out of my front door and see what was possible. The sad part for me, and, and I think for, for a lot of people, what sometimes makes us move is when life gets hard. 
Yeah. And for me, that was when my dad died very unexpectedly when I was 24. Oh. And suddenly my world was rocked mm-hmm. and I was harshly aware that life is short, it is fragile, it is fleeting. Yeah. We don't know how long we've got. And yeah. I didn't want to get to the end of my life with a whole lot of things that I'd been too afraid to do. And yeah. so I committed to start singing in his memory and to honor his legacy. He was someone who had been pretty fearless. And so it still took another three years. That's, mm. the, that's the embarrassing part. But I started mm. singing professionally at 27. I actually moved to America. I moved to Naples in Florida, which, if you know anything about the music industry, you know is not the capital of the music industry. I was going to ask you where in New York City you lived. That wasn't the answer I was expecting. I don't know a borough named Naples, but okay. No, I was was a long way from New York, but it got me, I I moved to the U.S. with a, a, I followed a relationship there. I followed my heart. And when I got to America, because I couldn't work legally, when people asked me what I did, I just started telling them I was a singer. And the more I said it, the more I started stepping into be, becoming mm-hmm. a singer while I was applying for mm-hmm. my work visa. And I got to work with a singing coach in Florida, a man named Joe, absolute character. He looked like James Brown. He oh, sounded wow. like James Brown. He had these pearly white teeth. He used to wear red velour tracksuits or I don't know what you call them. <laughs> what, what do you call those? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He, he was a character and Joe, I was with him five days a week. I'd have an hour lesson every day for five days a week for three months. And Joe said to me, he's like, Verity, I am not going to teach you how to sing. I am going to teach you to be confident. Yeah. I was like, how do you teach someone to be confident? I've come here for singing lessons. And he said, singing's not the problem. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe in yourself, no one is ever going to hear and so Joe and I would have these, these lessons where all he did was make things go wrong. It was a very strange, unorthodox way to teach. He would turn up the music, turn down the music, knock over the microphone, shout at me, and I would get startled. He was like, Verity, you keep on singing. Do not stop. Whatever goes wrong, you keep on. And that was my relationship with Joe. And I kept thinking, this man is mad. But on we went, and when I finished my lessons with Joe, I actually moved back to South Africa. The relationship did not last that I was in, and I came home to to heal. And I started singing professionally at that point, and things go wrong when you're on stage. Things go wrong all the time. But I would just keep going. The music would cut, the mic would drop, and I would keep singing, and the audience (laughs) never had a clue. And so that was... That was a life-turning moment for me. And and the lesson that Joe taught me was that confidence, and I think for Toastmasters, for everyone, this is what we all need. True confidence is when you're okay with things not being okay. Because if you're okay with things not being okay, everything's okay. You kind of figure it out. And that was how I started singing. And and I sang from a place of of being okay, that things are probably going to go wrong and no one's going to die. And I could have honest conversations with the audience. We could laugh if things didn't go according to plan. And that was was how my music career started. And it was 
an un unusual journey. <laughs> I love it. But it's also a rich journey that goes as to some core underlying themes of this show and as to the meaning of Toastmasters itself. I am going to start by going way back to that first time you wrote a story. Because it reminds me of when you're expected to come up with a speech. You just say you were sitting there for no apparent reason, lyrics to a song started coming down or what was a poem and you later realized were lyrics to a song. Talk to us about what that moment of inspiration felt like and looking back on it, what do you think was going on inside? Sure, it was, it was quite a moment because we have a, a tradition in our family that on your birthday, at the time you were born, the exact time you were born, you need to go somewhere and sit and play the year you've had and mm. the year you want to have. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like our new year. And luckily for me, I was born at quarter past four in the afternoon. So it's a convenient time. Yes. <laughs> so I was, I was in my father's car, actually, at a beach in Cape Town. It was very windy, so I hadn't been able to get out. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, I'm 20. I was studying psychology and I was like, I'm going to be a psychologist. I want to help people. And I, I do not know where it came from because it really was like someone switched wow. on this tap. And all I could find was my father. I mean, this was back in the day. He had a logbook in his car where he would log his mileage. <laughs> so I grabbed that and I started writing. And it really, it felt like I was being given a gift because it, it was flowing through me. There was such inspiration. I wasn't having to think what word came next. Right. The, the words just flowed and they were very cheesy. It was, I can still remember it. I never, I've never turned it into a song, but the chorus was, you've got to live before you die. You've got to smile mm. before you cry. You can't fall unless you fly. You can't fail unless you try. And it was kind of my motto that was given to me that I need to live my life like this because yeah. life is, is, the, the equal existence of good and bad, and all of them make up our experience. So it was just, I knew that it was a life-changing moment. And because it happened at exactly quarter past four, I did feel like I had been chosen by God to become a world-famous pop star. And so that was hard. That was hard when I was like, but why did I start writing this song at the exact time I was born? Surely I'm meant to get a Grammy and tour the world. And that wasn't my journey. <laughs> I ended up becoming a crowdfunder and innovating and and kind of turning things on their head in the music industry. But then I stopped singing. It was like it was done. But it really did feel like I was being chosen for some higher purpose. But I'm still figuring out what that is. Well, I have no actually no doubt that you, that did happen. And let's face it, being a world champion public speaker and going on the journey that you have, I would say most people would consider pretty doggone purposeful. And so one thing that that goes as to that I enjoy about Toastmasters is that it can take you on journeys that are unexpected. And we hear stories about that all the time on this podcast. And it sounds like the what was meant to happen in that moment did take you on a journey. And I, and I can't wait for us to talk about it more. On the subject of cheesy lyrics, by the way, if I believe I can fly, <laughs> can be a number one song. Well, there we go. That rock, let's not knock cheesy lyrics. 
Now, let me ask you about something else that you do. I'm noticing as I'm listening to you talk, normally I'd raise this later in the podcast, but it's so important and you do it so well, I don't want to let it slip through my hands. That is, you seem intentional about creating vivid pictures when you speak. You're on a windy beach. You're describing a tracksuit. Is that just something that you do, or is that something you've habituated? And if so, tell us about that. It's definitely a combination of the two. I think through 10 years of being in Toastmasters, I have realized time and time again how often speakers need to paint a picture in the listener's mind. And so I've had to override sometimes that natural mm. inclination to just give the basic facts rather than say, let me, let me paint you the picture, let me show you. So, so Joe, the story of Joe has developed over the years of telling it. I realized, throw in the tracksuit. That is what he wore. But if you don't tell people, they're not going to know. And often as speakers, we don't realize how easily and how quickly we can create an image in someone's mind. And then it does become habituated, but it's definitely something I'm intentionally aware of when I communicate. Can I relive the scene rather than just retell it? Powerful. The final thing that I wanted to ask you about regarding your whole journey as a singer is with regards to the tracksuit coach with the James Brown hair and the yeah. pearly whites. Right, it, it does stick with you. I can see him right now. The focus of his training was not on technique. It was on the heart, the soul, the mindset. Reminds me of so much of my training when I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It was on being comfortable, living in terror of someone punching me in the face or choking me from behind. You live, someone is trying to choke you every day. Well, you get used to it. After a while, it loses its novelty. You're like, oh, okay, someone's trying to kill me again. Fine, I'll make it out. And it sounds like your experience, actually, when it comes to standing up and singing in front of people, could be equivalent to someone coming up and choking you and overcoming that internal fear. Our podcast name, Transformational Pathways. We're not talking about hand movement pathways. We're talking about the inside. Mm -hmm. Explain to us a little bit more about internal transformation and to the extent that that has been a part of your journey into the top tier of public speakers around the world. I'm still pinching myself that that's a reality. <laughs> I bet you are. Quite, quite something. I think, I think that it, a lot of my understanding of, of transformation and being my best self did start in those lessons with Joe and realizing that I, I think what holds a lot of us back is we're waiting for everything to be perfect and only when it's perfect then will I put myself out there. Yeah. But then you could wait your whole life before you do anything and what he showed me was it doesn't have authentic and if it's real and if you're okay 
with whatever it is, then you can't be hurt. You can't fail if you're not humiliated. And so, I, I mean, the, the, the story I tell of, of how I really knew Joe, Joe had taught me well, was about four or five years later, I was about to speak in Johannesburg, South Africa, and I was, I was crowdfunding an album. I was asking people to buy an album I hadn't recorded. It was 2000 and it was, Facebook had only just come out in South Africa. Mm. There was no such word as crowdfunding at that point. So I was one of the first online crowdfunders. And so what I would do was how I became a speaker was I would go and speak to people about my idea. So they would buy my album and I would sing them one song. I didn't realize at the time I was becoming a professional speaker. Wow. But I would tour around the country and anyone who would let me speak to their audience, I would be there. And so one of our top motivational speakers, Robin Banks, had allowed me to come and speak to 600 people. It was an amazing opportunity. And I was standing backstage and I had a, a one of those little, I was called them a Madonna headsets on. And I was feeling like the pop star I was meant to be. This was it. This was <laughs> and... He did this rousing introduction to 600 people. He's like, ladies and gentlemen, we've got this amazing young singer from Cape Town. She's going to blow you away with her idea. Please welcome Verity Price. And they went crazy. And I was going, this is it. I am. This is my moment. And I started running up the stairs, just feeling like I could hear the, the soundtrack. It was amazing. And as I got to the top step, I tripped. Oh. And I fell. Whoa. I sprawled in front of 600 people. Oh, my God. On the floor. No way. And I was like this. And you could just hear the whole audience going, <gasps> Pizza <laughs> chewing gum in front of me. There was a hair. It was not good down here. And then I looked around at these aghast faces and I went, Folks, I can only go up from here. <laughs> they laughed. I laughed. I didn't, I didn't skip a beat. It was like those three months of training with Joe kicked in right there. It was like, It's okay. I have fallen on my face. Make a joke, get up, dust yourself off. More than 50% of that audience bought my album at the back of the room that night. If I hadn't fallen on my face, I don't think that would have happened. I love it. It goes back to the words of another guest on this show, Matthew Fay, who's a stand-up comedian. He talks about recovering when you're out there and as a comedian, standing in front of people and you tell your best joke and no one laughs. Only yours is worse. Because at least he was still standing up when no one laughed. Well, I you didn't injure yourself now, did you? Hey? Were you, no, you weren't injured by that fall, were you? No, no, oh, I wasn't. Good, and, and what was great was that my pride and my ego wasn't injured either. Oh. A year earlier, that would have undone me. I would never have got yeah. on stage again. But what Joe had done was he'd conditioned me to know that it's not a train smash. You just keep going. And... That for me is what inner transformation is about. If I look back over my life and if I, if I look at the first time I had my heart broken, it was the end of the world. I didn't believe I would ever be okay. 
But subsequent heartbreaks, because that's life is a series of heartbreaks, I've learned that I will be okay. And yes, this is hard and I might need to mourn and I might need to cry and eat a lot of ice cream and watch Netflix and (laughs) do all those things. But I know that inherently inside I will be okay. And that's the ultimate journey is is to not fight the process, trust it, and know that I can be honest. And, and people have asked me a lot with my winning speech. Like, oh, it was so authentic. It was so honest. And I was like, for me, I was just telling my story. But no. I know sometimes we're afraid to share our shame. But no. actually, the best way to connect with people is to say, this is what I've been struggling with. And then that opens hearts. And they go, oh, I've also been struggling with similar oh. things. So that's the journey I believe we're all on. It's, it is so, so true. Now, you didn't, again, just pop out of the womb, walk into the International Convention in 2021, give a speech, and win. You had to join Toastmasters first. (laughs) And and it sounds like you've been a member of Toastmasters for more than a hot second. Tell how on earth did you end up in Toastmasters? What's the story there? So I ended up in Toastmasters for fun. My sister joined, Kay, and she was very nervous of speaking. And she said, oh, I've joined this organization called Toastmasters. And then a few months later, she said, I'm doing this thing called an icebreaker. Please come and support. So, of course, I went. And I remember being blown away. It was at a little uh, library uh, in Fishhook, where we were in South Africa, in Cape Town. And... It was this really, I mean, I'm going to be honest, it was quite geeky, it was quite nerdy, it it wasn't a very inspiring venue, but the people were so warm and so welcoming. And I just remember the the club would give a standing ovation when someone did the icebreaker. And my heart just opened seeing everyone supporting my sister like that. And then someone said, oh, do you want to do this thing called table topics? I was like, okay, I'll try that. And I won. I won table topics that night, which is a really good strategy for getting new members because, of course, when they phoned and said, do you want to join? I was like, wow, I'm good at this. I'll join. And uh, (laughs) I I was quite cocky, to be honest, when I joined because I was already speaking professionally. I was a professional singer. And so I didn't read the manuals, the top line of what I had to do, and then I would just do what I wanted. And then I brought that same attitude to the first Mm -hmm. contest I ever joined in 2012. And my sister Kay also joined and she practiced for a month for this contest. And I thought, shame, it must be awful to be that nervous that you have to work that hard. And she beat me. (laughs) (laughs) And she didn't just beat me. She went on to become the third woman to ever win our district. And then she came second to Ryan Avery in the in the semifinals. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> and it was incredible. And what I what I learned from watching Kay's journey and her speech is well worth watching. Uh, Kay Price Lindsay, you can find it on YouTube. Is I there again I learned what happens when you put in the work. She was there despite her fears. She was pushing herself to be the best speaker she could be. She was reading every resource that Toastmasters had available. 
And there I came in as the cocky, confident one, and I didn't get the benefit the organization was offering. And so that was my humbling moment when I was like, read the manual, do the assignment properly, and grow. Don't come in thinking you've got it all sorted. And that's when I started really growing in this organization. Thank you for that. I've seen it myself. Sometimes prior success, a natural gift, or even intellect itself can be inhibitors. I've seen folks that, for instance, are very, very bright, and so, and they may be used to spontaneously engaging and holding captivating um, conversations with people. And so, for instance, they don't necessarily follow the agenda, or they don't prep for the agenda. And then when it switches at the last minute, they're caught flat-footed, or they ignore time and get frustrated when those time limits get called on them by a, very, a particularly aggressive timekeeper. One club I was a member of had a professional martial artist as a timekeeper who would stand up and start throwing punches. <laughs> yeah, that got your attention. So, but in any event, it goes as to the growth that is embedded within the pathway system itself. And that, I, is something that I feel is important to raise because you have another significant contest accomplishment under your belt, if I remember right. And it involves something that is integral to the educational process of Toastmasters. Now, because I have a sense of drama, I'm going to do a drum roll. Talk to us a little bit about that other major contest award you got. I'm afraid to say what it is because you might criticize me. Go. <laughs> I hope I've got the right one, but I'm assuming you're talking about when I was the 2015 district champion of evaluations. Boom. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, gosh. As, gosh, that was, I mean, evaluations are one of my all-time favorites in, in Toastmasters. I believe that's where we grow as leaders through learning how to give effective evaluation and feedback. But also it teaches us what makes a great speech. Because in order to give feedback, you need to understand the mm -hmm. elements and the basics of what makes a powerful speech. So that's definitely where I learned how to speak and was able to develop my own presenting skills course, actually all off the back of evaluations. But the, the contest is hair raising, I'm not gonna lie, it's, it's definitely hair raising, but I've come up with a, a formula that works really well for me with doing evaluations and it's based on the judging criteria. So it's actually, it's not rocket science, but mm -hmm. sometimes I see people forget that what they're, what they're looking for when they're judging an evaluation is that you've, you know, gone through the strengths and what someone's done well with clear examples from the speech. You've looked at the areas of concern. You've given constructive ideas and suggestions on how they can fix it. And then you've summarized what you've said. So that's the structure. The, the, the thing that I believe makes the difference between winning a, a district level contest and not is how you top and tail it. So I've really always worked on going, how do I have that punchy introduction that ties mm -hmm. to what the speaker's spoken about? And how do I tie it off at the end with a, a beautiful call to action or a shout out to them that comes from their speech? So it's not about me, it's about their speech. But I really had fun. I, I was on fire on the day of the district evaluations and it was a lucky day. 
just flows and other days it doesn't, but that one did. And, I, and I've loved, I've loved being able to teach people my little techniques since then. Do you think it helps them in the real world though? I mean, how many of us just stand up on a stage in our jobs and get to criticize other people? And by the way, my feelings get hurt. I only like hearing good things about me. <laughs> well, you know, I think, and I, I teach a lot of a lot of presenting skills in corporates, and I actually always incorporate feedback so that they give peer feedback and teach them how to do a decent evaluation. And they suddenly go, I could be doing this when I'm doing performance reviews. And I go, yes, you should be doing this when you do performance <laughs> reviews. Otherwise, people are leaving there, as you say, with their feelings hurt. So I think it's a it's a critical leadership area. And what I've learned in Toastmasters is I've been able to give feedback to a club member and ask them to redo a project because they haven't yeah. nailed it yeah. in such a way that they're excited to come back and do it again, only because I followed the formula. You know, so it, it helps you to have difficult conversations as well. It's, a, it's a, an incredible skill. I'm blown away. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Let's talk a little bit about contest speaking and real world keynote speaking. What is the difference between the two? Because look, if someone wants me to give a keynote, it's longer than five to seven minutes. Most are. All right. So how do you translate the skills that you get as a someone, someone giving an international speech contest speech and all of the speeches that lead up to that versus being asked one day to give a speech on a big stage or simply a speech before your division at work? So the... I'm trying to think what the fundamental difference is that a as you said you've got more time which is lovely you can't get disqualified when you're doing a keynote there are no judges so it's a lot less stressful <laughs> in a funny way <laughs> than a competition interesting interesting yeah and so i that's one of the reasons i haven't entered the international con uh, contest many times and this year was the third time i ever entered it because i always found it very stressful this five to seven minutes and people are judging everything i do a keynote is far more forgiving. It still needs the storytelling. It still needs that you build curiosity and connection with your audience. There needs to be moments of humor, but then you might have sections where you're unpacking a concept and you may be having to talk to a more technical issue. And then you go back to story and you bring back all the speech craft that you would have from a contest speech before you land another piece of content. So Sometimes it's a series of five to seven minute speeches put together, but there's a little bit more freedom. There's more chance to interact with the audience and it's not as strict as a contest, but you want all the skills that you learn from developing contest speech and bring that same level of energy and delivery to a longer keynote. And the critical part of it is story. You know, if you start doing keynotes and leave out story because you think you're just there to deliver information, no one is going to be yeah. remember what you say. No one's going to be moved. What are the stories I can tell? Paint. What are the analogies I can draw on to help my audience understand my topic so I can move them forward to make a decision and commit 
to my message when I'm finished speaking. And that's the same in a seven-minute speech as it is in a 45-minute speech. Well, and it also is, by the way, the same as in another emerging format that you and I are engaging in right now, which is podcasting. Now, this district has one of its club as one of its clubs, the Podcast Pioneers, which is a podcasting club, and yeah. it is exactly um, as it and its members move forward, incorporating a lot of this thinking from the pathway speech model into podcasting. People forget that it, like as you said. It's not about purely information. Yes, they want information, but they're not going to remember anything unless they can emotionally connect. And I think that no matter what variants come forward that we can't foresee of communication, that is going to remain fundamental. And so maybe I'll ask you to tell me a story to explain the next question that I've got for you. Because I used a $5 word in my introduction. My little mind can barely understand what it means. So I need someone to tell me like I'm I'm listening to a Hansel and Gretel story. What is lateral thinking? That's what you focus on. Big words. I'm jumping out of my suspenders dying to know what that means. What is lateral thinking? So, so I'll give you the explanation, and then I will give you a description. But, but lateral is to go sideways. What our brains love to do is they like to think in a straight line. They like to think from A to B, and they like the shortest distance between things because we are inherently lazy. And so when we are trying to be creative and we're trying to think outside the box, what we need to do is we need to break that routine pattern of thinking, doing the same things in the same way, looking for different results by interrupting it and taking the brain on a detour. So if you imagine we were driving down a highway and we were going, I'm trying to think of America, but I'm just going to stick with South Africa. If I was driving from Cape Town to Johannesburg, it's a pretty straight road. My brain would go, well, let me just take the main national road and I'll just keep driving. What lateral thinking does is halfway along, it creates a detour. It takes you to a town that you weren't expecting to go mm. that has what you were looking for in Johannesburg. And it, it comes as this surprise. And that's where the innovation happens. So, so lateral thinking is to think sideways from where your brain would normally go and arrive at solutions that surprise and delight you. And you generally know that you're getting lateral when you start laughing, because laughter is our, our neurons creating connections in the moment when we go, oh, yes, oh, a word. And, and you hear that when people are brainstorming. So, so lateral thinking is to just go sideways, of course, from your normal direction of thinking and arrive at ideas that are outside of, of where you would generally think and discover, wow, this is an amazing solution. How do I bring it back and apply it to my life. So well, I don't know if that if that was a story or more of an analogy. <laughs> I like the story part of the little journey. It's sort of like going from Manhattan to Brooklyn, but doing a little side trip to the boogie down. Well, I think people can relate to that. And, and for you, Verity, the boogie down is the Bronx. So anyway, okay. let me... <laughs> I have but only briefly it's a beautiful city. Well, we're going to get you back here. We're going to host you. We're going to have give you lots of New York stories. And you're going to be all storied. <laughs> Let me tell you, ask you this, though. 
I, let's say I am an accountant or yeah, actually I am an attorney by training. Reality, that's not just a made up story. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but it's true. <laughs> and uh, I pride myself on my linearity. Why are you trying to bring all this funky weirdo thinking into my nice, settled, happily moving forward firm? What next? Are oh, going to have us hiring clowns to, to do depositions? Come on. <laughs> but I would imagine, and I mean, I'm going to embarrass myself, throw myself under the bus that I've been watching Suits, so I feel like I know so much about that. <laughs> <laughs> but if I see the way they have to connect the dots sometimes, those brains are going outside. Yeah. Or they go, I know this is the law, but can I find an exception? How can I make it relevant to what I'm doing now so that it wins my case? That is a brain that I'm sure there's a lot of black and white that you have to follow, but sometimes you have to think outside the line. Lateral thinking allows us to do, but it's also going, we're planning our year end staff party. Are we going to do the same we do every year? Or could we ask a new and different question that gets us to an exciting idea? And sometimes you put, you put, a limitation into the question. Mm. So how can we have the most unforgettable staff party at or $20 a head? You, you make it a ridiculous number. Your brain will now look for ways to answer that question. And you might end up with a fantastic idea and everyone loves it and they never forget that staff party. But if you don't ask that fresh question and if you don't think in a new direction, you'll just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And it's working but is it working as well as it could? So but that's what, why everyone needs to know how to think differently. Well, what if I'm just not a creative person? Then what if I'm someone that doesn't, I can't think out of the box. That's not me. You know what? Then I would have loved to have met you as a child because I've yet to find a child that can't look at a box mm. and turn it into a rocket or a house or a car. They see endless potential in everything. And all of us had that creativity. It gets taught out of us it gets knocked out of us but as a facilitator when i'm working with people i've got really fun processes through laughter through play that allows people to reconnect to their creative self and go wow i am actually able to to shift my thinking it's not not everyone's going to be a crazy out the box thinker but we all can move a little bit i think i might bring some fun little play exercises into a Toastmasters meeting one day. Are there toys and little games involved? There when are, you... but I feel like I'm giving too much away. We might have to do a course. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. Someone listening to this <laughs> may say, I, I definitely... <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about live speaking, which is how your career originated versus <laughs> as of 2021, when this is being recorded, the new era of speaking, that era defined by the Z word, Zoom. Yeah. Talk to us about differences and how you adapted and how those of us that still might be struggling 
can use our lateral thinking skills to, to wrap our mind around this so that we don't, I, what I don't want to be is a disease vector for Zoom plague, for Zoom death, uh, for Zoom boredom. Do you have any thoughts, my help folks, with that? Absolutely. So obviously it is so different to, and, and I think the thing I had to accept was I can't go, why isn't this like a live event? It's mm. not. Yeah. And one thing, I mean, I do a lot of keynotes online. The difference between doing an online keynote and a Toastmasters contest is in an online keynote, I can use that chat. I can get the audience going. Even if I can't hear them, mm-hmm. I've got interaction. In a contest, you speak to your own picture. So the, the difference is you've got to get comfortable looking at yourself. You've got to get comfortable playing with the screen and understanding this is a stage. And if I'm perfectly honest, I never thought to even, I had a very new baby in 2020, but I would never have entered the international speech contest the first round. And I pay homage to my car, you know, and, and all the finalists and all the contestants who were our first virtual contestants because they showed us what could be Without that inspiration, I wouldn't have entered this year, but I suddenly saw that you can use a screen, you can do things, you can come in. So this is a high level of play. And then on a, on a stage, because sometimes on a stage you're self-conscious because the audience are looking at you and they're like, they might look, you know, a bit thrown by something you're doing. You can't see your audience here, so you might as well play. And... I think if you just see that that's what it is, I've got this this space to use and to play with, it's an incredible skill and it's an incredible opportunity to communicate in a different way. It's not the same as live speaking, but then you've still got to speak to that camera as if it's the most important person in the world and what you're saying to it is going to change its life. Because on the other side of it, there's thousands of people. And uh, I, I'm so grateful for this virtual world. It's it's opened things up. It's shown me a, a different way to communicate. And uh, I see them as, as different but equally valuable skills online versus in person. And that last point is so true. For instance, we might not have been having this conversation at all had it not been no. for the technological changes that everyone in the world has been forced to adopt like it or not because of the situation, the public health situation we've been in for the past couple of years. One other question on this topic though, because you can't really see the audience or you might at best see, depending on the size of the audience, a sea of faces in little boxes in the gallery view, what tips do you have to help support people who might be feeling like they, they can't tell whether they're being engaging or not? And they want to be there for that audience. So a few things. It's it's so important to practice with a mentor or with people that, you know, check in on a Zoom session with you and you do your speech and you get feedback on how it's coming across. So that's really useful. The other one is to film yourself. And actually, this is Mike Carr, last year's mm-hmm. world champion, suggests switch off mm-hmm. the sound. And do you find it interesting watching you? Because if there isn't that energy coming across without the sound, it's probably not engaging. So what's lovely in this format is you can film it, you can watch back, you can go, that was a bit fast, maybe I can. So you can self-mentor as well, but work with other people, get their feedback, 
And, you know, I had to also always practice not knowing. And then someone would message me going, oh, I laughed out loud when you said that. And I was like, tick, that section's working. Yeah. Let me check everything else is working. But it is, it's a longer process because a live audience, you can very quickly see what's working. Yeah, yeah. Give us three tips for someone who wants to be a killer champion speaker or for someone who wants to be a killer keynote speaker. I want to know. This is for me. <laughs> so I'm worried I give away too much because I know I am coming in the new year and I'll be doing a keynote for Indeed, the district. And, and then we I can't have wait. I told, have I told them everything? Um, but um, let me tell you. Okay, I'll, I'll try and think of three new things. The, the main one is you have to have something you want to say to the world. And mm-hmm. often what we're doing is we're so busy. We have to find this. It's going, what What are the things I'm passionate about? And write those down. You know, what are the things I believe? What are the values that excite me? The principles that I, you know, I really believe could, could change the world if everyone knew them. And then take those and, and take the one that interests you the most and goes, what's a really fun way for me to get this across? So sometimes it might involve research. I I do a keynote on happiness called Activate Optimism, and it's all based on positive psychology and years of research. But I've built it around a personal story of of constantly and always wanting to be somewhere other than I was, and I used my story to then introduce the science. So, But I knew what I wanted to share with people was that happiness was a choice. It's something I strongly believe. And then I built the speech around that. So... Get clear on what are those things that you want to say. If the world is listening, what do you want to say? Mm-hmm. And what's going to be the most enjoyable way mm-hmm. to say it? Because if you're having fun communicating it, and if you're coming from a place of clarity, this is the one thing, not six things I'm trying to communicate. This is the yeah. one thing I'm trying to communicate. And here are the examples from my life or that I've been inspired by that communicate yeah. it whether that's a contest speech or a keynote speech, it's going to move people and they're probably going to remember what you said. That's powerful. Well, that was impromptu because that's not from my keynote on the contest journey. (laughs) And by the way, that goes as to the impact of table topics. You can do it. You did it pretty doggone well. We like to close out this part of the discussion with a pop-up question for you. Verity, name one leader and one speaker that you admire. Tell us why. Are they the same person or two different people? Oh, well, that's up to you. (laughs) So the the leader, and that's maybe because I'm South African, but Nelson Mandela will Mm -hmm. always that inspires me most to to show the world what forgiveness and transformation really looks mm. like is is quite exceptional he also happened to be an incredible orator and speaker and yeah. he he moved people when he spoke so actually i'll just i'll roll it all into one nelson mandela because i think we need more leaders who who truly lead by example having gone through the hard yards and then shown how to bounce back, how to turn things around. And did he ever go through it? Verity, people are going to be watching this on YouTube. 
you're going to be listening to it on any of a number of different audio hosting platforms. They're going to be seeing you at an event coming up that we're going to talk about in a second, but they may be actually watching or listening to this many years from now. How can they find out more about you? They're going to be dying to know more. Give them something. Give the people what they need. <laughs> well, please join me on social platforms. So Instagram at I am Verity, Facebook at I am Verity. You can find me on LinkedIn, Verity Price. And my website, IamVerity.com or VeritiPrice.com. You can see what I do, see if I can help you. You can come into your organization and activate some lateral thinking and some positive thinking. But yeah, those are the good places. I am Verity. You will find me in many places. <laughs> and it's a very, very memorable handle. Now, let me just ask briefly. People are going to start seeing, this is being taped on December 13th, 2021. They're gonna start seeing some ads on our own social media handles that have your face on them. What, what is that about? <laughs> well, I'm coming to your district and if I, I'm now it's really busy at the end of the year, but I think it's the 8th of January. I hope I've got the right date because I've got so many lovely districts I'm visiting, but am I with you on the 8th of January? And you're going to be talking for the district? I am, and I'll conference? be sharing the... As I'm not sure, actually. I, I just know that we'll be chatting, and I'll be with you doing a keynote on the writing a winning speech and developing a champion mindset and sharing my journey to world championships and the lessons I've learned that I hope can help move uh, other Toastmasters' journeys to where they want to take them. It is so exciting. I cannot wait to be there. So just note, I'll be in that audience cheering you on. You might not see me because there will just be a little avatar. And I know a lot of people that are listening to this or watching it will be there for you too. We're grateful and excited about you being there. Verity, wonderful. it is wonderful. Verity, it has been great having you on the show today. Thank you for joining us and sharing your story and lots of good tips as well. Now, for those of you who are listening or watching, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review or a comment. Also, don't forget to follow District 46 on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. And if you're new to Toastmasters, go to toastmasters46.org. That's toastmasters46.org to find out more, maybe even join one of our clubs. Because Toastmasters is where leaders are made. Thank you so much for joining us on Transformational Pathways. If you enjoyed today's episode or got anything out of it, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're interested in learning more about Toastmasters District 46, check out the link in the show notes below.